This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to the Out of Water Podcast. I'm Mark Lautenschlager, your Master of Ceremonies. Uh, with me in the studio this week, as always, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and the Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. We have, however, also with us, and if he keeps showing up, I'm going to have to put him in the opening credits and not do it live, but today, you're just an add-on. He's the <laughs> other Co-Director of Student Ministries. It's another audition. Will Bushman. <laughs> it's good to be back here. If he keeps coming around, though, I'm going to have to put him in the opening credits. You know, it's... Four episode minimum. Four. Let's keep it probationary. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it probationary. <laughs> Our church right now is going through some topics from the Sermon on the Mount, and so that's what we've been covering here in the podcast. If you've been listening all along, you've heard us talking about the Lord's Prayer. That's also part of that. Um, and this time we're going to be taking a look at the topic of judging. Uh, and let's be honest, we all get a little judgy sometimes. I mean, it's not just a, a, a sort of tired skit from Saturday Night Live in the 1980s with the church lady who was judging everybody. It's kind of the reputation that we have as Christians. We're always passing judgment. So Jesus tells us, doesn't say not to judge. He just tells us that judging might be a bad idea. Sam. What does the Sermon on the Mount tell us about judging? So when you get into chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, he's just come off of talking about anxiety, and he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Uh, For in the very same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so in the Sermon on on the Mount, there's a lot of comments that are kind of like, you know, you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. You know, you're to forgive others. As you've been forgiven, right? So it's the expectation. If you want forgiveness, you're to forgive others. You love because you're loved. Uh, And then here it's saying, don't, you know, you give and it will be given to you. And here it's saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, it's interesting that it says that by the same measure you judge others, that's the measure you will be judged with yourself. What is that implying? Does that mean... If we judge them harshly, we're going to be judged harshly. If we judge them favorably, I mean, is it? What does it mean when it says by what measure? What do you think? Right. So whenever you when you, when you follow Jesus in the Bible, he's got he he treats people um, differently. You'll notice it. So sure. when he goes to the Pharisees, I mean, you kind of see this in practice as Jesus is walking around. He'll go to the Pharisees, who you know he says you know do what they say, but not what they do. <laughs> You know, they judge and they put heavy burdens on people and they're constantly evaluating and judging other people. But Jesus lights into them, right? So they judge harshly. Jesus is going to to really evaluate them harshly. But when you come across somebody who's gracious, who is humble in their sight, um, who recognizes their need, you find Jesus being extraordinarily compassionate and merciful. And so you see that not only, you know, when Jesus is talking here, we tend to think of, you know, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But even when Jesus was on earth, you see this principle at work. Those that judged were judged harshly, mm-hmm. and those that were gracious were shown great mercy. I'm thinking if I could pick my side, I'd 
Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. The, the great mercy side. Yeah, and so it's saying let's let's be merciful and gracious and think the best of one another. Which in our our modern climate, particularly political climate, we don't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. So let's take let's get the pulse of whether this is a generational thing or not. Because we've got several age groups in here. There's me, I'm old, eh, and there's Sam, who's just about to tell people to get off his lawn. Pretty old. And then we have <laughs> Drew and Will, who are of a younger generation. Is judging, is that a thing? You know, are everybody still judging or, or have we all decided that, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, do your own thing, be true to yourself, all these kind of rah-rah things I hear from young people. And I'm wondering, have they learned not to judge or do they judge just like we do or we did when I was back in the 1980s and I'm like, your hair is not big enough. I'm sorry. And those plaid <laughs> pants do not come up far enough. Bell bottoms. It's bell bottoms. Everybody who's in the audience, it looked more disturbing than it sounded. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean definitely. There's still there's still a spirit of judgment that exists in the younger generations. I just think there's a um, an emphasis on maybe trying to speak about it in a more sophisticated way and priding ourselves on not being judgmental, but it's still there nonetheless. You know, the fascinating thing is, though, is, you know, you hear people say, don't judge me. You know, you hear that all the time. That's true. Oh, yeah. You, you, you hear that That's all the true. time. And yet some of that, like when I go through comments and articles or I look at the way people <laughs> talk to one another and social media, like I, I don't remember this from my childhood, but this culture is savage against one another and judging each other but you know i guess we do it cowardly behind a screen more so today i think the difference is that back when it was there was a veneer of civility there was a way that you behaved in public or when you were writing for the public you held back from certain things and i kind of blame the internet and social media for that because really it's just it's just pulled that all back and now everybody just comes out with they just brah, there it is every bad thing that they want to say to somebody so I, I think that that's the reason and it's in, it's infiltrated all of the other media as well because I, I watch I read like online magazines newspapers and stuff like that and it's like reading blogs they write the same way unless it's the New York Times they write the same way for the paper that they would for electronic for social media and I think that that's a casualness that's carried over hmm. do you agree Will? Yeah, and I think it's it's so easy to write now comments. It's easy. Um, and I think it's easy because you don't know. We have access to people we don't actually know. You know, we're seeing content from people we've never spoken to. We never will have to look in the eye. We don't care about them. It's just we don't know them. So I can write whatever I want. I'm not going to know you or meet you or care about you. So it's easy to judge you harshly. So you're keyboard brave. Yeah, yeah okay. you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof <laughs> behind yes. a computer screen. You know. That was, that's a term that people I, I, I first time I ever heard that you're you're keyboard brave, you know you're an internet warrior. This idea that you can say something anonymously to somebody, totally fearless, not worried about what you said because there's no accountability for it. Hmm. But I think there's also to this there's there's no nuance to a person's identity and and public perception anymore. What I mean by that is. If I say I'm a Republican or if I say I'm a Democrat or if I say I'm a Libertarian, you know, you assign to me and my character a massive number of things based on what I identify as. And so, you know, if I say I'm a Republican, you know, you you immediately think I'm homophobic. You think I want to cage children on the border. You think all these things. If I say, oh, I'm a Democrat, you you think, you know, I'm a 
pro pro abortion and that I'm you know have no sexual ethic or whatever like one side vilifies the other side mm-hmm. and then assigns all of that vilification to one another to where we can't have conversations anymore mm-hmm. because one side is always branded the oppressor and the other side is always the victim regardless of which side you're on and we vilify one another you're the enemy we can't have a conversation anymore you're the enemy and so we prejudge everything based mm-hmm. on your political identification, the way you dress, what you drive. You know, if you drive a Prius, that says a ton about you. I've prejudged you, you know, and the same thing if you drive a big truck that's jacked up with huge wheels. I'm judging, you know, tons about you before I even see you. My daughter's boyfriend drives a Prius. <laughs> I'm just saying. Jordan, Jordan has a Prius. Hey, I'm, I'm okay with Prius. Okay. All right. I'm just checking. I didn't stop know if was, stop I didn't know judging if, me. I didn't know if there was something you were saying. Out of, out of judgment. I do think the uh, to me... I think you're right about the vilification and the great separation. But here's my question. Is there a way back? I mean, what do you guys think? Is there, have we gone so far and dug in so hard that this is just the new normal? We're going we're gonna to judge each other based on our labels, and there's no way to come back and have a conversation. I, well, when somebody says, don't judge me, at the heart of it, what I hear is don't put on to a label onto me that you think about me without actually getting time to know me. But then where that gets tricky is if we hide behind that, don't judge me, I'll just be over here and do what I'm going to do with my life and you stay over there, then we don't give each other the opportunity to know each other. Okay. And so I think the only way back is to take the time and the patience and the thoughtfulness that it requires to actually get to know each other. Because if I don't know you, then all I'm left with is my understanding of you, which is inevitably a judgment on you. And so whenever I say that, or I feel that, I think the tension that I'm feeling is feeling misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And so the only that I can think of way to battle that is to take the time to understand somebody. Uh, But if we're not willing to do that, then we're really left only with judgments. I saw that in her personal worship reflection this week. You gave that as a definition of judging, which Mm -hmm. is to form an opinion of somebody with no knowledge of them. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good good. description of judging. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything about this person, but I'm going to form an opinion. Yeah. And one of the things that you'll find when, when it talks about do not judge, it's not saying, hey, have no moral standards and and don't hold anybody accountable to what they do. You know, they can do whatever. But one of the, like what you're talking about, whenever you find Jesus having a hard conversation with someone, so for example, the woman at the well, or the adulterous woman in John 8, or whoever it might be, the Pharisee in, in Luke 7, he always goes out of his way to show them dignity and love before he has the challenging conversation with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he shows great dignity to the woman at the well before having a conversation with her about her current arrangement with men. <laughs> Um, and so you see that there's a great amount to, to love. And even with the Pharisees, when Jesus confronts the Pharisees and he's kind of harsh to them, the scriptures tell us that, you know, he's looking over Jerusalem, weeping, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you, but you were not willing. There's always a heart to want to find the best, to want to reconcile, to want to redeem, to want to find beauty there. And I think if you come to somebody, that has to be your heart, even if you're pointing out hard things. 
Yeah, and even in culture, like you said earlier, Sam, that you often hear people say, don't judge me. And I think in at least the current climate, people do mean in part by that, don't judge the way I decide to live my life, my my ethics, my morals. Uh, and however, if we're following Christ, he does have a lot to say about morality and our ethics. Sure. And so I think, again, like you said, it's not it's not saying just do not judge means don't give like weight to that or care about Jesus and like what he has to say about ethics. But people have to feel like you see them and not just their behavior and not just their morality or not just their ethics, because otherwise all you're doing is attempting to know them based off of what they do or what they've said. And that's not really knowing somebody that's just knowing the external expression of somebody. I have to say that's where I feel like Jesus was cheating a little bit. Because he knew everything about the person he was talking to as soon as he started talking to them. He didn't have to ask the woman on the well, at the woman at the well, what she was doing. He never had to ask the Pharisees what they were thinking. He knew. And I'm like, well, so that it kind of is the Son of God was cheating a little bit. There. But even still, he goes out of his way to <laughs> and I, make. By the way, I'm just kidding about cheating. I'm not. Yeah, sure. I know. But he goes out of his way to make sure that each of them knows they're loved. Right. You know, there, there was no question. That when he's shielding, you know, in John 8, when he's shielding the adulterous woman from the stones, essentially, mm-hmm. she has no question, this guy loves me mm-hmm. and, is, and is willing to suffer to defend me, even as he's about to speak into my moral condition, right? right? And so this idea of, of saying, you know, don't judge me as kind of a shield to anyone speaking into your life, that's actually the antithesis of love. You know, we do it really poorly when we come into somebody and say, hey, you know, I, when we want to address something that's going on in somebody's life, a lot of times we do it really poorly and, and we wound people. Mm-hmm. But I want to, when Jesus is asked what are the two greatest commands in Scripture, the first one that he cites is from Deuteronomy 6. He says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then he says the second greatest command is like it. And then he quotes uh, Leviticus 19 when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. the second greatest command. But the context of where that is in Leviticus 19 says a lot. He's, it, it's, it literally says this. It says, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. That's the context which Jesus is pulling from, right? And it's saying, rebuke your neighbor frankly lest you share in your guilt. And so like, let me give you an example of that. If, if, you know, if I told you right as soon as we're done recording this podcast on the way home, I am going to go cheat on my wife. Would it be the loving thing to do to say, you know, who am I to judge? You know, that, that's your decision. The loving thing to do would be to tackle me because it's going to you know, prevent mm-hmm. anything you had to do to prevent me from making such a catastrophic mistake for my life you know, hurting my wife, hurting my children, my family. Like, it is the loving thing to do to confront somebody when their behavior is bringing destruction on them. The, the hard thing is to figure out, how do I do this in a way that shows them I'm totally for them? I'm not bearing a grudge. I haven't labeled them. I haven't dismissed them. I'm not speaking down to them, but I'm loving them as I would love myself. That's the challenge. I think the thing we have to recognize here is that if Sam ever did say something like, I'm going to go cheat on my wife, we have to recognize that he has gone completely crazy, completely (laughs) crazy, because... Yeah, I mean, Laura is like so far above his... He outkicked his coverage. That's all I'm saying. It's like, (laughs) and, you know, yeah, that wouldn't happen. That is correct. Yes. I think 
it just our behavior is so based on our identities now in this world, in my world. That's why judgment's so hard because when someone speaks into my behavior, it's like they're speaking into my identity. Mm-hmm. I hold those things too closely. Mm-hmm. When they judge my work ethic, when they judge my, how I'm doing, my success, my you know net worth, whatever it is, I hold those things so tightly. And I think that's why the judgment becomes an identity thing in all of it. Yeah, that's completely. a good thought. Well, let me ask you a follow-on question to that. Is a failure to praise you the way that you think you should be praised for something? Is that kind of a backhanded judgment? Like, you've done something really well, something really yeah. amazing. And you get up there and you give a message on Sunday. You do an amazing retreat with the kids. Yeah. And then everybody goes, hey, Will. Yeah. And you're like, hey, Will. Not, hey, Will, good <laughs> job. Not, hey, Will. Uh, you know, my kids are raving about Do you feel judged by that? Yeah, I guess that's why when... Jesus talks about it in this passage. There is good judgment. See, I only see judgment as a bad thing. Right. But we receive what we give out. So if we're giving out good judgment, we also want to receive that good judgment. So there is good value judgment that I need that, like you said, I, I may deserve every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, when Jesus is talking about and he says, you know, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think there's something to that. You yeah. know, if huh. you're encouraging and you're lifting people up you will be encouraged and lifted up. You know, there's there's something to that where, you know, I think it's not just withholding the negative, but it's being generous with the positive where we can. So are, are we suggesting that the message isn't so much, and I know this is kind of resetting, but I just want, I want to make sure that we, that we take people along with us. We're sort of suggesting that there are types of judgment which are not necessarily wrong or bad. Correct. Jesus, know, Jesus says, you know, right. you will know my people by their fruit. Right. Well, how are you supposed to determine that? You have to, to make, make a judgment sure. about the way that they're living. You'll know my people by their love. But what you can't do, I mean, you're looking at behaviors and you're assigning, you know, you're making moral decisions about someone's behavior. But what you're not allowed to do is to look at them and say, you are lesser than. Hmm. Your value, your identity, your worth in my sight because you do X, Y, or Z or you look like X, Y, or Z, you're now lesser than. Yeah. That is really, really wicked in the eyes of God. Yeah. Okay, so as you were talking about this, I found myself wondering, how do we safeguard ourselves and make sure that we... We, when we do judge or discern that we do it in a way that is loving and biblical, like how can we be proactive and ensuring that? Because like you said, Mark, I do think it's tricky. Like I, it's so easy to just, I mean, even this week for me, as we work through this in personal worship, I realized how natural it is to judge and how often I don't even realize I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And then I catch myself. I tried to actually catch the amount of times I made even small judgments this week in like silly things. And it was pretty defeating to be honest. And it's, so it starts small, but how do we then safeguard ourselves to judge in a way that Jesus would actually be honored by inside the church in particular, it, it has to start with humility. Um, Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is if I'm, if I'm being totally honest and transparent, I'm absolutely 100% worthy and deserving of tremendous judgment. Mm. There are so many things about myself that are self-centered, that you know, I fail as a husband, as a father. There's so many reasons why I've fallen short of what God has asked me to do. You know, I'm, I'm a bad steward of what he's given me. I fail in so many respects. And yet, Jesus doesn't just withhold judgment from me. He enters my judgment in my place, mm. right? And so when I'm looking at other people, when I see that God 
has stepped in to bear the judgment that I earned. And he's done it to, to clothe me in his righteousness and to give me all good things and to shower me with praise. What that means then is if he then calls me to go and love as he has loved me, that means I need to be the one who stands in front of those that are being judged. Hmm. That I need to stand in front of the ones and love them and lift them up and protect them and seek to lift them up and to help them out of where they're at. Hmm. And, and to have the heart of my Savior. I should be the very last person person on the planet that's eager to judge right. because I've been spared so much judgment. Let me offer you a practical encouragement because I am the oldest person in the room. I keep saying that like it's a good thing. All I just all I've done is you, you are old. Yeah. I am old. I just I just <laughs> woken up in the morning more time than you guys have. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say is that you know Sam's talking about humility and and that there's a certain amount of self-awareness that you need for that. Mm-hmm. You need to have a certain sense of self and presence and sometimes that's fleeting and it's not you're you're always not big with age, it becomes a little bit more natural. When I was younger, I mean, and at this church, because I've been here for 34 years, there were times where I just make a snap judgment. Somebody would come in for a church service, and mind you, I come in now in shorts and sandals practically every week. That's the official dress code here at Rio, it seems like. And But there was a time when the pastor wore robes, and we all wore our dress clothes on Sunday mornings, and if somebody came in, it's like reading the book of James. If somebody came in that was looking like a you know, beach bum, I made a judgment about them right mm. right away. And I used to judge people constantly based on their appearance, based on their patterns of speech. As I've gone on in my life, and I have fallen down so many times, that self-awareness, that humility eventually becomes instinctive. Mm. You're like... I, that my first impulse isn't to judge anymore because I immediately think, boy... I could be doing that same thing or worse. Mm-hmm. So I think that over time, the pattern of failure, <laughs> does that make people feel good? Does that make you feel good out there in internet land? The pattern of failure at some point is an instructor and, mm-hmm. it, and it gives you this sense of awareness of your own fail, failness, failing, yeah. if your own, failure. F- no, no, wait, wait, I'll get it, I'll get it, uh, fallibility, fallibility. Right. your own fallibility. And, and that's the thing that, you know, will be helpful. Yeah, I was just thinking about how we are calling this series on the Sermon on the Mount, the Upside Down Kingdom. And just as we've been working through every one, I have been shocked at how much just needs to be just straight change for my heart. Like it flips everything upside down because I value so many things that God does not value. So when I value those things, whether money or, or appearances or status or success, that causes my judgment and that causes me to devalue human beings. So it's almost like everything needs to change. Mm hmm absolutely everything I think that the other thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus gave like really brilliant pictures of things like get the log out of your own eye before the the, uh, speck out of your brothers Mm -hmm. you know he had this amazing way of describing it he's assuming there's a log in your eye because you're judging your brother it's like the judgment reveals your heart. I'm looking at you saying, I'm getting ready to tell you about the problem you have because you've got this speck relatively, but that reveals my heart yeah. and I've got a, a, a log I've got to get out of my eye. And I think that Jesus had this amazing ability of word pictures for the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and I think, you know, we get back to the, when, we were, when I was talking about humility a little while ago, one of the words that Jesus uses quite a lot is hypocrite. 
mm-hmm. you know, especially when he's talking to the Pharisees. You know, he'll repeatedly refer to them as hypocrites, which that word comes out of the ancient Greek. It literally, if you jumped in a time machine and went back 2,000 years to Jesus' day and you said that word, they would hear you saying the word actor, somebody that's pretending and hiding behind, you know, one of the masks, mm-hmm. a happy mask or a sad mask. Okay. And, you know, when we walk around judging, we produce... Um, a culture that is pretending all the time. The gospel comes to us and says, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to measure up. Jesus has given you your righteousness. You can now walk in freedom, right? But if you get into a judgmental environment, you are quick to put on the mask. You can't speak freely. You can't reveal your wounds. You can't show your scars because everybody is so quick to just, they're right on top of you pointing out your flaws. And so you don't have authentic freedom anymore. You don't have authentic love and compassion for one another because everybody's forced to pretend and hide behind masks. And that's partly why our society loneliness, as we've talked about before in different episodes, why it's so epidemic because nobody feels known. We have to hide because we're terrified of what other people might think. And the Mm. gospel you can you can look everywhere, and so the, the only remedies. I mean, you can say, you know, I don't care what people think. I don't care if they judge me, but you'll just isolate yourself from people, or you'll become hard-hearted. The gospel comes along and gives you a security that's in Christ, right? That can withstand and bear the brunt of other people's judgments. There's this there's this great passage that I love. Especially, especially as a pastor, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He spent 18 months planning this church, and he has been hearing long afterward that they're doubting whether he's really an apostle. Right. They doubt whether he really loves them. They doubt his motives and what he's in it for, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And Paul comes back and says to them, it's kind of, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Hmm. And he goes on and says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And in saying that, what he's saying is, you know, there is a verdict on my life. Mm -hmm. And the only verdict that I care about is what God says about me. And God has looked at me Hmm. and has valued me at such a high premium that he would die on a cross for me. And that is my price tag. Mm-hmm. And so if, if God has spoken into what I'm worth mm-hmm. and he's set my price tag there, I don't care what you think about me. Like you, you don't ultimately judge me. And in fact, I judge myself way more harshly mm-hmm. than anyone else does. I mean, if you jumped in my mind and heard how critical I am of myself, oh, oh yeah. it, we're yeah. terrible at it. And so only the gospel comes and gives you liberation from judgment. Not only of the other people, but it gives you the liberation of that self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. God is your judge, and he was judged on Calvary for you so that you could be totally innocent. This feels like a good spot to maybe flip the script a little bit. And we've been talking about don't judge others from the standpoint of let's not be judgmental. Mm-hmm. Let's resist the urge to be judgmental. So let's flip it around for a second and talk about if you are the object of judging. There's going to be people that are listening to this that are going to be like, I am sick and tired of everybody judging me. I can't, you know, so if you're somebody who's the object, because that goes to what you're saying, but what are some things we can offer to people as advice or things to think about or meditate on if you're the object of judgment? 
you know, if you're somebody, particularly when it comes to religion, that feels like you've been judged and dismissed and devalued, um, you know, I would encourage you, you don't turn away from the gospel or Christianity because that it should drive you even nearer because the Bible is filled with stories of people who face that very thing. Um, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, drunkards. These are the very people that Jesus went after and drew nearest to. Um, they were the judged. That's precisely who the Lord goes after. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're in that place, it's hard. People are brutal. We're cruel sometimes. Um, but that, sh- what you should realize is, you know, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 34, is, the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and those crushed in spirit. You yeah. know, if you feel like you are unloved and judged and misunderstood, there's one who knows everything about you, who understands mm-hmm. you absolutely perfectly, who knows all of your stuff and loves you infinitely. And so, you know, I think that's to step into the shoes of those in scriptures who've been judged and look at the Lord's compassion to them. Yeah. Receive that because it's yours. He came looking for the judged first. Correct. If you're that person in the crowd that's being judged by the crowd, just know that if Jesus came in the room, he'd be looking for you, mm-hmm. not them. Yeah. Yeah. This week when I read First Samuel sixteen seven, it talks about how the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And mm-hmm. so I know I, think, I picked that verse. Oh, it was a good one. Yeah. I loved it. But I, I think if great you, job. Thank this, you. This is positive judgment, Mark. That's positive judgment. Good. I feel reinforced. You obviously needed that. <laughs> yes. Since I, was, since I was throwing out a humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> but if you sit in that verse, there's so much freedom there mm-hmm. in knowing and, and not just saying it simply, but really knowing that the Lord is the one who knows and sees every, every area of your heart. And so if you feel judged, I, I can only think of finding peace and resting and knowing that God knows your heart. Right. And so I guess the way I would wrestle through that is when I'm feeling, when I'm on the receiving end of judgment and feeling maybe conflicted about that, I think the only peace and relief I have experienced is bringing my heart before God and being honest with him about the way that I feel um, and also asking him to search my heart right. and, and trusting that that is where my identity is rooted. And, and like Sam said earlier, that ultimately he is the only judge over my heart. And so if there is anything that does need to be brought to the light, he's going to do so because he loves me and he is transforming my heart day by day. And so I think bring your heart to God and, and then lovingly and kindly when it's appropriate, let people know that the way that they're speaking or treating you is hurtful. I think it's shocking how often we just, I understand that there's times that maybe it doesn't feel worth it to say something to somebody, but I wonder how often people have no idea that the way they're speaking is causing people to go home and feel misunderstood and judged and horrible. Mm. And I, I can't help but wonder how much healing could happen if we could just learn to even love someone enough to not judge them based on how they're judging us and say, hey, I got to be honest with you. The way that you're talking about me and the way that you're the way that you're treating me, it's it's causing me to feel this way mm-hmm. and help me understand like help let's let's talk about this because then you're also modeling for that person 
by example what it looks like to give someone the benefit of the doubt, which is what you wish they would have done to you the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, you know, we can't control or change anyone's behavior but our own. But I think if you're confident that the Lord sees your heart and that your identity is rooted in that, then it frees you up to love people enough to even give them the benefit of the doubt when Hmm. they turn that judgment on you um, and to pray for them and to pray that that God would reveal the judgment that they're doing to them. Yeah, and to resist the the temptation to burn them down. Yeah. And to go find an audience to talk about how terrible they are and to begin to assassinate them. Like that's the natural instinct. When someone attacks you, you go right back even stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, But trusting, like, you know, Matthew 18 kind of gets into this when Jesus is talking about how to deal with conflict. You know, he says, go to them first, Mm -hmm. privately, right? Try to spare their reputation, even though they've done the wrong thing. Try to spare their reputation. And if they won't listen to you, take a brother or sister with you to go and confront them. And then you involved the the community or the authority Mm -hmm. um, to come and speak into it because you shouldn't be anyone's doormat. Yeah, and the of Bible, not. even though the Bible calls on you to always seek a redemptive end, it never calls upon you to be a doormat. Mm-hmm. I always find myself diffusing things with humor most of the time. I mean, that's should be no surprise to people that I make sarcastic comments all the time. But, you know, when people would say something to me that felt a little judgmental, I'm like, oh, if you knew the truth, you'd have a lot more to say. Yeah. <laughs> if you really knew me, I mean, this just tells me you're an amateur at judging me. Because if you knew me, you could do you could do much better than that, mm. you know. Or I'll say something like, uh, "So if you were trying to make me feel bad, well played," <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So that's nice how, does, how does how does Mark deal with judgment? He gets snarky. <laughs> yeah, and I think as the object of judgment, most of the time I'm thinking when I'm the object of judgment, I'm thinking about my own judgment of myself or other people's judgment. Uh-huh. I very very rarely see myself as the object of God's judgment. Even in the good judgment, I, I don't daily. People daily remind me of their judgment to me, mm-hmm. good or bad. I yeah. daily remind myself hundreds of times a day of my own judgment of myself. But how often do I remind myself of God's judgment mm-hmm. on me? How often do I go to those verses I cling to? I do when I'm really, really in the depths of it. But daily, I don't wake up like, hey, I wonder what God's thinking of me today. <laughs> it just which sounds so crazy, but I don't do that, and I need that reminder more than I need to remind myself of my own judgment on me. Sure, yeah. There's in the Psalms you see this again and again the way that David imagined God around him, mm-hmm. and yeah, the spiritual disciplines are good at pointing pointing us to remembering that He's always with us. But one of the things that David says, for example, in, in Psalm 32, he says, "You are my hiding place." You will protect me from trouble. And I love this picture. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And so, like, David always was talking about how he felt surrounded on all sides by those who were coming after him and speaking against him and trying to dethrone him and everything else. And he repeatedly spoke of God as one who surrounds him. You know, he goes out and just covers mm-hmm. you on every side and just lets you rest in the hiding place. And, you know, that that's, you know, God's singing songs of deliverance over you. Um, that is a that's a and when you're in the midst of feeling unloved and unlovable, to mm. remember that the God of the universe surrounds you and sings over you that's that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that we've talked about you shouldn't judge, and we've talked about mm-hmm. what happens when you are judged. Are there situations where we are called upon to judge? 
Not individually. Okay. So, so I mean, I can look at government. You know, the, Paul says, you know, that the, the king does not bear the sword in vain, right? He right. makes judgments and sends you to jail or whatever. The, the government can. Right. And he, it also gives authority to the church to make judgments. You know, if you're, if you're a wolf inside the church and you're behaving in a way that's destructive and really hurting people, you know, the church has the authority to make a judgment and to put you out. Jesus himself, one of the, one of the verses I'm not sure I really understand all that well is when Jesus talks about that when when the authority of the church, when they bind something on earth, it's bound in heaven, and when they loose something on earth, it's loosed in heaven. And you go, wow, that's that's some big-time yeah. authority. Yeah. Um, but what that is saying is the church is commissioned to make judgments. Sam is not. <laughs> I think that's a good answer. The uh, You know, I, I found myself thinking, because I hear people say, well, it says in the Bible that we should judge and then it, they'll throw out an example where really the Bible's talking about discernment. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a holdover from if I, yeah, I don't want to insult anybody that likes the King James because I think the King James is fine. But it's old. And there's places where it uses the word judge and it really means discern. Tell the difference between two things. Be aware of them. Mm. So I would suggest to people that those things that they think the Bible is telling them to make a judgment on, just take a step back and say, Am I, is this really judging or is this discerning? So what is 1 Corinthians 6.3 getting at when it says, we shall judge angels? So in, in 1 Corinthians 6, when it talks about us judging angels, it's coming in the context of, you know, we can't sue one another and we can't pretend that the world is being our judge. The world has more wisdom than the church or the scriptures. And so to, to kind of justify what Paul is getting at, he says, don't you realize that we are going to one day judge angels? And, you know, it picks in Romans, it talks about how the church will ultimately stomp the head of the serpent. So when Christ comes, the idea at the end is that when he comes to bring judgment on the world, we too, in triumph, will bring judgment, will sit in judgment over the world when all things are made new and pure. So he's saying... If you are going to be called, you are going to be given such dignity and such a high office that you're going to judge angels, can you not handle your disputes here now? <laughs> yeah. But it seems like it's really just a warning. But it's just interesting because there's language there in that whole chapter that sort of sounds like he's telling us to, that we're supposed to judge yeah. in, in matters and disputes and so forth. And I, but the church is the one who has that authority. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's within the church. It's not to go, go out into, into law. But Paul's like, is there not one wise man among you, you know, that can settle these things? Um, but it is true that judgment at some point will be part of the new order. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the notion that um, you do want to speak into other people's lives when they're um, making destructive choices. When right after he gets in... Uh, Right after he says, you know, don't judge or you too will be judged, he gets into the idea of the plank and the speck. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Meaning that, you know, if you have a speck in your eye, perspective makes it look like a plank. You can't see very well. And he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? But notice what he says here. He says, you hypocrite. First... Take the plank out of your own eye, and then 
you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what he's not saying is, hey, just worry about your plank. Just worry about the thing in your eye and ignore. Don't worry about your neighbor's business. What he is saying there is you need to you need to worry about yourself. You need to get your own house in order. You need to take the plank out of your own eye so that you can then help your neighbor take the speck out of their eye. So it's not this notion. When he's talking about judgment, he's not saying... Don't worry about anyone else's stuff. Just mind your own business and leave them to their own destructive ways or whatever. What he is saying is do not be a hypocrite about it. Mm. You go to them in love. You go to them having taken a moral inventory of yourself. And by the way, when you've taken the plank out of your own eye, you're going to be better equipped to help somebody with that same problem. So if I've come out of addiction, right, if I've taken that plank out of my eye, addiction I can better relate to somebody who's going to have to fight to get it out of theirs. Mm. Mm-hmm. You think about um, one of the first really rebellious statements I can think of that a human made to God is Cain. Yeah. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, so this whole thing of how do we, you know, the answer is yes, in a way you are. Yeah. But you have to prepare, you'd have to, you have to be sure that you're coming them, to them with your own situation taken care of you don't want to be caught Mm -hmm. up in the same kind of thing yeah Um, and wanting their best and when i hear the word judge i think what does a judge do is they declare a verdict innocent or guilty it's a it's a final sentence Mm so one of the verses today was galatians 6 1 and it said brothers if anyone is caught in a transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted and i love that emphasis on the spirit of gentleness and so i i wonder if sometimes we just get caught up in the semantics of it of judge versus discern but again scripture isn't saying just write off or minimize or overlook Mm -hmm. the the ways in your own life but then also in other believers but it's calling you to humbly and gently restore that person, not declare that person guilty. Um, Because that doesn't, I I just see those as different. Like when I read Galatians 6, it seems like in in restoring someone gently, you're reminding them of what their ultimate judge Christ has already done for them, which is take their judgment to make them new. And so you're restoring them and inviting them to leave whatever maybe the sin or addiction that they're struggling uh, to again um, hold fast to what Christ purchased for them. But I think there's kind of this third piece where we find ourselves. We're not maybe the one judging. Maybe we're not the one being judged, but we're just sitting. Yeah. We're sitting at a table and judgment is happening all around of all around us. Mm -hmm. And at least for myself, I can very cowardly just sit there and, awkwardly smile or laugh or join in and meanwhile somebody who maybe isn't at the table is being torn up or there's a narrative being written about this person and they're not even here to correct it or they are there and like am i doing anything to speak for that person and that's that has been convicting to me this week that very often i find myself in situations with other brothers and sisters in christ where uh, we are collectively judging And we're okay with it. Hmm. That's scary. Hmm. You know, Mark, earlier you were talking about how Jesus had an advantage because he could see everything that a person was going through. It's handy. It it is handy. But I think what that should make us realize is 
because Jesus knew everything going on, he was even more compassionate. Mm. And I think a lot of times we sit in judgment of other people and we have no idea the scars and the pain Mm. and the baggage that they've been through, the abuses that they've suffered, uh, all the things that if we really knew the hells that they had walked through, we would have an abundance of kindness and compassion. But in our short-sighted and limited knowledge, we stand arrogant over them, you know, Mm. declaring judgment. But if we could, like Jesus, just peel back a little and see how hurt. And by the way, having been a pastor uh, for a number of years, I can tell you everybody's got them. Everybody has these enormous wounds that they're coming through their history. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could see that in one another, we would be much, much more compassionate. So, Drew, you're talking about, you know, when we sit around and we, you know, shred someone without giving it a second thought. I think if if we saw the pain that was in their history, it would Mm -hmm. be a lot less acceptable. And I think we just need to assume that of people. They're hurting. It's a human condition. Everybody's walking through uh, some level of suffering in this life, and we need to be gracious and mindful of that. Hmm. Somehow we've lost track of that old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Amen. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps up our talk on judging. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us this week and that you'll come back and listen again every time you have opportunity. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a good rating because it will help other people find out of water also. And we'll see you again next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.